Anyway, since we seem to be out of witnesses, I thought I'd drink a little. We're live. Hi, everybody. Hello, everybody. Back for another episode of uh, Straight Law Cocktail. It struck me as I was looking at our YouTube channel that we are, this, this uh, recording would be number... I can't even guess. It's somewhere between 10 and 50, five and 50, I don't know. Uh, I can think we're up to like 20. 20. Yeah, last episode, I didn't realize this until I, I, I created it. I didn't know it at the time we were talking, but the one that has, uh, 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 I'm, I'm kind of a big deal title page. Um, yeah. That was episode number 20. We are now at episode number 21. 21. All right. Legal to drink in all states. 21 pumpkins. So there you go. And um, uh, what we're going to talk about is, so what are you drinking? You got a drink? I, yeah, I'm drinking uh, a whiskey sour, but instead of lemon juice, it's got lime juice. Oh, that's probably sour. I am drinking Whoa. called Remember the Alimony. <laughs> Tell me about this last weekend. Yeah, let me guess. Is it bitter? It's got to be a little bit bitter, I think. It is a little bit bitter. It is. Uh, um, it's got uh, an aperitif in it. I think that's is that a, like Campari or Aperol? Yeah, kind of thing. Um, uh, along with um, uh, sherry and uh, gin. All right. And I've got a little uh, lime slice in there. Remember the alimony. Good. And it's uh, it's not bad. It's got that bitter, you know, if you've had uh, Aperol or uh, Campari. Dry, yeah. Kind of a sweet, bitter kind of thing. And I kind of like that in a cocktail. Cool. So um, remember the alimony, appropriate for the straight law cocktail. Talking about divorce. What I thought we'd talk about this week, and we talked about this earlier, last week, uh, I think it was a week ago, we did number 20, yeah, a week ago, um, we talked about uh, lawyers checking their egos, Yeah. and uh, a few episodes ago, we also talked, uh, that was when we talked about uh, um, Ted Lasso, can you be a nice guy, be a good lawyer, yeah. and so we're going to turn that on its ear today. We're going to say, is there a time to be a prick? Is there a time where you don't turn the other cheek? Is there a time where you express yourself in a way that is not necessarily uh, conciliatory with another uh, lawyer? And, uh, and maybe, I might as well illustrate why this is. We've talked about this. There's a certain young lawyer that I'm dealing with. Um, and I would have to say her demeanor and uh, my dealings with her have been relatively uniformly offensive. Oh, geez. She takes ridiculous positions. 
and I have not to this point in time been uh, in any sense condescending or um, aggressive. I have suggested that some of the positions she's taken are are in incorrect, and she just keeps pushing like uh, I don't know what the point of this is, and it doesn't seem to be getting a client anywhere. And uh, the final straw this last week was um, uh, this, this kind of, we were having this discussion about a pension and she wanted me to prepare her pension order, which I guess after 35 years, I might know a thing or two. I've suggested to her, well, it's not really appropriate for me to do an order to benefit your client because if it's wrong, she can't sue me. The law in Canada in any event there's no duty of care owed to an opposing party. And so if I screw up that order and her client loses out on my client's, her interest in my client's pension, she's gonna be kind of fucked, as they say. Um, and she doesn't seem to see the wisdom in that. She just interprets our agreement to say it's my client's obligation, which it isn't. But trying to be conciliatory and cooperative, I agreed with that and I entered the order. And I got it back and she goes, well, you have to send it to the pension authority and you have to get them to confirm. And I said, no, I'm not gonna do that. And then she said, oh, by the way, my client says your client still has a pension they didn't disclose. And, and I said, I don't think so. And then keeping in mind, the agreement was signed long ago. They've settled things. I said, but you know what? Again, I'm gonna be conciliatory. I'll ask my client about that issue. Uh, and I asked my client, he comes back and he goes, I worked for nine months, uh, 10 years ago. I don't have a pension. So I go back to her and again, being conciliatory, I say, you know what? My client only worked for nine months. He says he had no pension entitlement. We have no problem with you making inquiry of his former employer though. And we'll give you a release, right? If you want something in writing, we'll sign it. You can contact them, get whatever verification you have. And so I feel like I've been bending over backwards, particularly because it's a young female lawyer and I don't want to at all appear aggressive or offensive. I bent over backwards to be cooperative. And a couple of days ago, she comes back with, no, it's your obligation to do this. Right? Make inquiries. Yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> And it, it, for those who are lawyers, they'll understand how ridiculous this is. We have an agreement, she's making some bald assertion with no backup that maybe my client didn't disclose an asset, which if true, would entitle her to sue on the undisclosed asset pursuant to the terms of the agreement. Um, I've made some inquiry, it doesn't appear that there is uh, another asset. And that's not good enough for her. She suggests that, no, 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 I have an obligation to approach the, whoever the former employer is and to get positive information. And it's at this point, I want to basically phone her up and go, go fuck yourself, right? Like the time for cooperation is ended. And so this leads us to this discussion. Is there a time where uh, being cordial and uh, facing is no longer the right approach with some lawyers? Well, what's your take, Tyler? I've I've kind of owned the floor now for a few minutes. What's your take? All right. So my take is this, that when we do things as lawyers, man, we need to think logically and we need to make good decisions uh, for all the parties involved. And so uh, you, what you should be doing is thinking, well, 
how do I behave? Because you can't control someone else's behavior. How can I behave that's going to garner either a result that I want or be beneficial overall? And so if you're always bending over backwards and always being kind and kind of being this doormat, just like in any relationship, whether it's business or, or a friendship or uh, an intimate relationship, whatever, if you're going to bend over and be the doormat all the time, uh, you're going to get walked all over. And the other person's not going to appreciate that there's some boundaries. Uh, they also might miss the opportunity to learn uh, a little bit as well. So there is a time for sure where you got to stand up and say, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, and as a young lawyer, I can say, uh, I've had that before, right? Where, you know, you learn with senior counsel and I could see having you on the other side of the file would be intimidating. And, uh, and, and, there's, and there's lots of senior lawyers out there that I have on the other sides of files where I got to think, oh man, okay, they're telling me this. Um, and I take it with a grain of salt because they're not, they don't represent my client. Um, but, uh, but I, but I got to pay some deference to their experience and think about, you know, where are we at with that? So, so yeah, I can appreciate, I guess I can appreciate both sides. Right. Um, but as far as what you should do, there's a time and a place where you got to be a little bit aggressive and assertive. We got to stand up for yourself. Uh, and I think that's the same as any relationship. And I, and I, and I get that. Right. And I think I've always tried to avoid, because I remember, um, I remember, another lawyer writing me a letter, like trying to educate me, right? On what I didn't know. And at the time it was, I thought it was offensive. And, and so I get that when you have senior counsel that's sort of saying, this is the way it is, that there, there's a fear of junior counsel that I don't wanna be a, a doormat, like you say, or I don't wanna yeah. be bulls Especially over somebody. Have some senior counsel mentorship that can be really That's probably too. true I, i'm not sure what the mentorship situation is but um but i think you're right i think there is a time where the corollary is um after you've been cordial after you've been cooperative there is a point where you need to look the other lawyer in the eye and say you better understand who you're dealing with here right um you know, it's kind of like, uh, was it uh, Roosevelt said, you know, walk softly and carry a big stick. And I think we've covered that in this podcast before we've said those exact words. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing of it, right? Now, the funny thing is, early in my career, um, I, I, I was known to write intemperate letters or letters that were mm, over the line. And okay. uh I once wrote a letter referring to Scott Stenbeck as a gnarling beef-witted footlicker <laughs> that ended up arising in a Lisa seminar that I attended on uh, lawyer civility. I don't do those anymore. It's not beneficial, right? Well, that doesn't help, right? To rise in, to cause a rise of emotion and problems. That's not yeah, so. So me writing this this uh, lawyer a letter saying you know, you're a buffoon and I'm, you know, you're an embarrassment to the profession or something like that. It's this hyperbole is not helpful. Now, what I did do initially, I just wrote a letter, you know, further to this matter and your request, the answer is no, I'm not going to do this. Direct to the point, uh, avoiding insult or personal attack. Um, now, as it turns out, subsequently, my client of his own volition, went and made the inquiry and received an email from his former employer 
confirming that in fact there was no outstanding pension and I suppose avoiding some frivolous lawsuit from this who will be unnamed twit of a lawyer um, and uh, I sent it to her and the only thing I wrote was you know here's the email my client received from his former employer confirming there's no interest in the pension as we had indicated earlier period paragraph go figure period that was as uh yeah, it's direct confrontational as i would get uh so so that's the struggle right your your emotions are occasionally and I've done it right in early in my career. My, my emotions are on my sleeve. I've been known to yell at lawyers. There was an incident uh, at the courthouse actually, where senior counsel got into it with me and started yelling at me and I'm screaming at him down the hallway of the courtroom. Um, you know, he, he made some comment about it's a long walk to the end of the block and around the corner, Harvey. And I said, yeah, it is for you too. So bring it on anytime you want. And it was very confrontational. And it was ironic because my mother, who was a clerk of the family court at that point, walked upstairs and saw this exchange going on and was suitably embarrassed by your idiot son. Uh, now, as it turned out, I got along famously with this lawyer. Um, he was a great lawyer. But both of us were of the same ilk that when we were offended, we... Uh, responded with vitriol uh so so i'm not advocating that i'm not advocating screaming at lawyers with profanity by any means um civility is is the hallmark or should be the hallmark of what we do but i do think there's a time where you have to be direct with another lawyer and sometimes maybe be even a little bit sarcastic and say you know you, you maybe missed that day in law school <laughs> you know, uh, kind of a comment, but this is- and I can tell you this, from a young lawyer's perspective, I've been in those shoes where, you know, I've been ragging on something and I've had senior counsel shit on me a little bit. And, and that's been good, I've learned, and I appreciate that. And I look back and I think, you know, I was able to learn from something. And, and there's great lawyers out there who have kind of pushed me a little bit, Dal Danielson and, uh, and Barbelmont and you know there's, there's people out there who've been good to kind of hammer me a little bit about things and and it puts me in my place and then okay I go do my job and and we don't have to take it personally it's been good uh but there is a time for it so when I've had it happen to me that's all I've chalked it up to be it's not personal it's just great now I, I've learned something I'm going to move on uh but there is a time even when I've had to be a little more direct right uh, and it's not that there's a, a big difference between junior counsel and senior counsel necessarily. Uh, it's, uh, it's, yeah, can your counsel take the necessary steps or the approach that would be most beneficial? And sometimes you do just have to lay it on the line, right? Yeah. Uh, I got files uh, with uh, really senior counsel, uh, quite a few right now, and a fellow in particular here in town. And he and I disagree seemingly on quite a few things. And so sometimes I just gotta lay it down and say, yeah, I think you're wrong. Too bad we can't agree. Uh, here's what I'm gonna do. And I can't control what they're gonna do. I'll just control what I do, right? So him and I had a disagreement recently. He said, I don't, you know, I, I take the position. I think I was pretty successful in court. I beat him up a little bit. And um, we get the court order, I draft it, uh, send it over to him. He doesn't wanna sign it. Oh, what can I do? 
right? What do you do? I, he, doesn't, he says, no, I don't know if that's exactly right. Let's go back and, and talk to the judge a little more. And I say, no, it's two lines. I'm not doing that. So I send it to the clerks. They bring it to the judge. Judge signs it and filed. Uh, so sometimes you do got to be a little bit direct, and even I do, uh, even dealing with senior counsel or, or young people like, like me. Uh, so there's a place and there's a time for it. You got to be able, that's the thing as a lawyer, you need to be able to employ that as a tool. Uh, just like you have to be able to be calm and collected uh, and be able to be collaborative when the occasion calls for it. You got to be able to have that wide array uh, of tools in your set for sure. So have you, have you ever gone over that line? Have you ever... Have you ever responded in a way uh, or communicated in a way with the other party that you felt stepped over the line in a way that you later thought was inappropriate? Yes. I don't know that I regret it, but yeah. So tell me about that. Tell, tell our watchers about that. We're curious. Uh, I had, uh, I, when I was a very young lawyer and most of the time lawyers don't run traffic tickets to trial, but anyway, I ran a traffic ticket to trial and the traffic prosecutor, uh, and I'll say it, he was, he has no, he had no idea what he was doing. He's used to running trials against self-represented litigants and having the justice of the peace say, yep, that one's guilty. Yep. That one's guilty. That's what they're used to doing. So I show up and I run a trial. And it's a real trial and we cross-examine his witness and his only witness was the complainant. There's no, there isn't even a police officer who witnessed the event and the complainant, the only, the only witness they have admits that she lied on the stand as to what occurred leading to these charges, these, this traffic ticket. And, um, and anyways, my client still got convicted, but what really irked me was the traffic prosecutor looked at me, uh, I emailed them weeks ago and I said, do you want to chat about this before we run to trial? And no response. So I show up for day of trial and he looks at me and he says, Hey, do you want to chat about this before we run our trial? And I said, no, like I'm ready to go. Like I'm sure if we were going to chat, we would have done it weeks ago. So ready to go. And so he starts calling all of his files uh, with this justice of the peace sitting there. And I'm put off to the end of the day. I sat there for like eight hours until I could run my quick one, two hour trial, whatever it was. And, uh, and at the end of the day, he says to me, there's not much I can control, but I can at least control the order in which my files are called. And I made sure you were last. And so I confronted him, it was maybe a year later or something where I ran into him at the courthouse and uh, he tried to introduce himself to me. I said, oh, you don't remember me? And he says, no. And I said, geez, you, you gave me all that, and I have this big crowd of people standing around, and he's a traffic prosecutor. I said, you gave me all that special treatment in that traffic trial last year. I say it real loud. And he says, oh, I would never do that. I don't give anyone special treatment. And I said, oh, geez, yeah, you must not remember me at all. Uh, I was the lawyer that was able to handle my own file. You were the one who made complaints during the trial that you didn't know what you were doing. Uh, <laughs> and you called me, you called my matter last and made me wait all day. That's a special treatment you gave me. And it won't soon be forgotten. Uh, and I was probably a little over, but I don't regret it. You know what? I don't like that guy, and I don't have to. So that was that was probably over the line in front of a big group of people, but whatever. I know that guy. Yeah, I used to work with him. Yeah, well, there's a reason he's doing what he's doing. <laughs> In the middle of the trial, you know, he says something about, I asked a very relevant question 
very uncomfortable for the complainant. Uh, but that's my job. And he says something about, uh, um, you know, he want, my, my friend wants to run this file like it's a, a family law file and it's, it's just completely inappropriate. And my response was uh, that my friend's inability to run his own file is of no consequence. The question's relevant and needs to be answered. And of course it was relevant. So the justice of the peace had to say, yeah, okay, answer the question. Um, but anyway, anyway I, here I am doing it again. Why'd you get me started? I'm still mad about yeah. that. That's the, that's the tension of what we do because we are hired combatants on a certain level. And the issue is, yeah. you know, something we battle with is to what degree do we fall into, uh, I guess, a more combative stance than we ought to. And yeah, we should do what is effective. We should do what works well. I mean, I have nothing to gain from sort of telling this stupid traffic prosecutor off. It doesn't benefit me. And that's the hard thing, isn't it? It's the, it's the cost benefit of everything that we do. Is it advancing my client's interests? Uh, you know. Now the flip side is um, there are times where you take a position with a lawyer or with the judge even that is going to piss them off. Yeah. And we can't be afraid of asserting our reasonable interests of our clients because it's going to create rancor with some other lawyer or some judge. No, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's our job. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, occasionally, you know, there may be our lawyers that are a little bit timid about that. And that's not good either. But uh, no, you need to be what we call a zealous advocate. You got to be able to do the hard part too. You got to be able to stand up to people and push back. And you know, you got to be able to set boundaries, especially, I mean, for us, we practice in, in Lethbridge, Alberta here, and it's a pretty small community. And we're going to have multiple files with these same lawyers over and over and over. So the more that we let that person kind of, pardon me, walk all over us, uh, the more it's going to happen on the next file and the next one and the next one. And the more that you stand up to them or the more that you show some boundaries and uh, that you know what you're doing, that you're capable and confident and not afraid to stand up for that, the more they're going to kind of have some uh, either respect or deference to what you have to say. And that's important. And then we can hopefully work together in a more collaborative way after we've set these boundaries so we can both advance our clients' interests uh, in a way that's going to get a resolution quicker, cheaper, easier, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, uh, so I think that's the tangent. So I think, I think, uh, seems to me we're on the same page. I think, which makes sense because I think we're both reasonably decent lawyers. Um, you can't be a doormat and there is a time to be firm and direct with another lawyer when they're being ridiculous or offensive, but it doesn't require a long sort of diatribe of, you know, criticism and uh, profanity laced invective. That's yeah, let's not create not going to advance your situation kind of demeans the profession on some level. But there are times, you know, I gotta say in 35 years, I've had the opportunities where I've said things I regretted. Um, but I've apologized where I've realized I was out of line. But I was articling. I this is I was articling. You know, it's like you're in the bigs now, you're you're at the table. 
and I was given a lawyer, but you're not a law student anymore. You're in between. Yeah, I, I, I was given a small claims matter to deal with, and uh, and I got to court five minutes late, and the matter had been called, and because I didn't attend, they granted default judgment against my client. That's not good. And the lawyer on the other side, uh, I phoned and I said, look, I said, apologize you know i got delayed getting to the courthouse and i was there five after i think it was 9 35 let's start at 9 30. and so uh, would you be prepared to set aside the noting and default allow me to file a defense and i'll pay the throwaway costs out of my pocket it wasn't my client's issue it's my issue sure and the lawyer said no and and I still remember this. I was in the library at North and Company and I'm like sweating. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> and so I said, look, I said, this is my mistake. It's not my client. Uh, I'll pay you the throwaway costs out of my pocket. I said, but I'm going to apply to set this aside and the court's going to grant it. Yeah. The delay was five minutes, literally. My client has a legitimate defense. And the lawyer said, no. Yeah. And I was so freaked out. So I'm, I'm on the phone and I'm like, I'm gonna get fired. And all I could think of was go, you know what? Fuck you. And I hung the phone up <laughs> and then I sat there and I'm like, oh my God, now I'm really screwed because not only did I let this client get noted in default, uh, I just swore and hung up on a lawyer, which I know is conduct I'm becoming. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, right? So I phoned the guy back. I gave it about half an hour phone back. And I said, look, I'm really, really sorry. Uh, my problem, my fault. I had no excuse for being offensive. Um, but I am going to have to bring the application uh, to set it aside. So I'll, uh, I'll serve that on you in due course. And, and this lawyer was a decent fellow at the end of the day. And he apologized to me. I said, now, he says, you know what? I should have consented. Um, I was just pissed off because your clients pissed me off, but it's not your fault. And so I'll give you the consent order. And, uh, you know, but it, yeah, it was, you know, <laughs> young. Uh, oh my God, oh my God, don't scream at lawyers when you're freaked out. It doesn't help anything. But, uh, <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's been an interesting road. Um, I did, you know, I was an English major in university and uh, before I went to law school. And, and uh, speaking of kind of over the edge, I, I had a file and uh, it was with Dan Shapiro, you know, Dan. Yeah. And, uh, difficult custody file. It had been going on and on and on and on. And, on. and, uh, and nothing had happened for a while. And, uh, and suddenly out of nowhere, he sends me this letter about how this needs to go to trial and, you know, and I wrote this long rambling letter quoting William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. And, and it wasn't offensive, but it was ridiculous, right? And it was about star-crossed lovers and, you know. Um, so, and why did you do this? To what end? Well, because it kind of irritated me. It, 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 the tenor of the letter was, you know, we'd sent you a proposal for resolution. 
you know, uh, literally, um, you know, I can't remember the dates exactly, but it would have been something like October. And I said, you know, and uh, as the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months, without a response, I, I, I wondered if perhaps against all odds, our star-crossed lovers like the Montagues and the Capulets had found, you know, their way and perhaps they didn't need us, you know. But alas, after only four months of requesting response to my letter, my hopes were dashed when you wrote me indicating that, you know, that our proposal was not acceptable, not only not acceptable, but grossly offensive to your client. And, you know, so, but it was, it was a whole, oh, right, I get it. and I, you know, and quoted some passage from Romeo and Juliet. Um, so, yeah, there were days in my youth where, uh, I would write these ridiculous letters thinking I was clever or something. And uh, I've since learned I got better things to do with my time than spend an hour writing a letter saying, <laughs> okay, fine, let's set it for a hearing. Although if there's some comedy to it, I think that's so valuable. Spend the hour. That in itself has some value, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and I don't do that, you know, and I used to do it with some... Uh, regularity like the beef-footed footlicker thing you know and i know scott really well so i knew he wouldn't take it offensively but i actually found an insult generator online right <laughs> where it would give you three words that you could just mash together and i remember coming across beef-witted footlicker and i just laughed my ass off i'm like that bad, yeah. letter uh so yeah, maybe that, I mean maybe there's a uh, a time to use some humor to make a point. Uh, I remember reading a judgment from Justice Roberts, the Supreme Court of the United States, extremely hilarious in his decision. That's awesome. Yeah, and I thought this is great, right? Why can't you have humor? Actually, I wrote a decision for the Law Society of Alberta, a lengthy decision, but I quoted uh, Casablanca in the decision. Okay. You know, this lawyer had done wrong and was trying to blame it on his juniors and his staff. And yeah. I likened it to uh, <clears throat> Captain Renault in Casablanca, who was shocked to find there was gambling going on in <laughs> the establishment, even as he held his hand out to collect his winnings. Uh, and I, I actually wrote that, exactly that, in this decision about how this lawyer, you know, was shocked to find out, you know, there was misdeeds going on under his nose, even as he held his hands out to collect the income generated by those misdeeds. It was simply unbelievable. And, and the, uh, uh, they had an editorial kind of support group and they just refused to allow me to leave that in this decision. And I ended up bending and removing it. I should have it's, uh, it's going to stay, but, uh, yeah, I think there's a time for some humor. Uh, and this all being said, there does seem to be a time for a little bit of uh, assertiveness, maybe even a little aggression. Uh, I think so. Yeah, you know, I was going to share, we've got this parking lot here, and we've got on one side, and we've got this uh, restaurant on the other. And so we have these food delivery companies that love to park in our spots, which is so frustrating. Yeah. And so we post little notices on their cars, or if I see them, I'd ask them, hey, could you help me out here? Don't do that. And it was just worse and worse and worse. And so you know what I started doing? I just scream at them. I just I scream at these guys. Lose my mind on these guys. And you know what they do? They park down the street now. It works. 
So, you know, you got to do what works a little bit. It helps. Uh, it makes a difference. So there you go. So keep your cool. Be in control. That's important. Be effective. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's our topic for jure, the topic of the day. Uh, sometimes you got to be direct, but don't be an asshole. It doesn't advance your client's interest. No. Um, so what's up for your weekend? Uh, I don't know. I've got a little family get together and considering COVID, I'm not sure if we're going, we're not going. I got to talk to my wife, got to figure that out. And I think we got, I've got a snowblower that I need to repair. I threw a belt, uh, cause I don't want to shovel anymore. My back is killing me. How about you? Um, really nothing. Uh, might have dinner with the Hamiltons, you know, Kevin and Sean. Um, but other than that, you know, probably a little bit of house cleaning and straightening up, you know, it's, I can do that in the weekend. Uh, got a little bit of work to do sometime since I got a file that's blowing up and speaking of unreasonable lawyers. Um, but yeah, nothing major. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm like, what's your take on this COVID thing? Like, is it a huge deal? Is it a little deal? Uh, do people wearing masks? encourage you or offend you? I am very conflicted, <clears throat> but I think that it is a big deal. Uh, for sure, it's a big deal. And it doesn't take much to take some precaution to protect everybody. So no harm in wearing a mask. Not only is there no harm, and some people say there is harm. To those people, I have to say, you're stupid. There is no harm in properly wearing a mask. Um, just like your underwear, don't wear the same one every day without changing it or washing it. Right. Yeah, let's have some sense. There's no harm in that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit, I mean, you know, I've been pretty worried about it. We've been pretty strict in my household about locking down and staying safe and keeping everybody else safe. Um, and case numbers are really high, but it's always tough, right? Because we've got so much information coming at us. It's hard to decipher what does it all mean, right? The case numbers are really high now, but maybe at the last time we had a really big peak, there wasn't as much testing. I mean, I was horribly sick in March uh, of 2020. I should have had a test. They weren't testing at that time. So, you know, who knows what the case numbers were compared to now, um, but I still think we should be careful. And Christmas is a big deal for me and my family. And so I'd love to see uh, case numbers reportedly at least low at Christmas and feel a little better about trying to get together then. Uh, so it'd be nice if we could do our sacrificing now. Um, but it takes, it takes people to, to make a sacrifice on mass. Me doing it or you doing it, not gonna, that doesn't make a difference as a whole. And I know there are a lot of people who are dedicated to being careful about it, uh, but equally so, there's a lot of people who couldn't give two shits about it. So, yeah, I don't know. Here's, here's my take. Um, I think uh, it's an issue, and it's a bigger issue for some than others in terms of their age and health situation, obviously. But there are two camps, and they both piss me off severely. And they're and, and this is why it's become politicized, in my opinion. On the one hand, you got what I would call the, the leftist fascists. And they want everything to be taken care of by the government. And they're demanding this restriction, that restriction, the other restriction, right? So there's this perception of 
the government will just take care of everything. And anyone who's dealt with government knows they won't fucking take care of everything because they're just so half-witted most of the time. Now, yeah. the side of the equation is the hard right, right? The libertarians, if you will, and I consider myself kind of libertarian. But my attitude is uh, believing in liberty is not the same as believing in the right to be a moron. Right. Right? And so the idea that you should walk into a business and not wear a mask where the predominant science suggests that that's helpful at least, uh, particularly where other people are very afraid, even if you're not, um, you're not bold by not wearing a mask. You're not expressing your respect for liberty. You're just expressing that you're an idiot. And so between the two camps, my attitude is we have this problem to a great extent because people aren't responsible because the concept of personal responsibility is just devoid from modern society. And it's either the government needs to take care of us or I should just be free to be a complete twit. And at some point it's, we deserve what we get. And if our society struggles and we take longer to get out of this because people want to go to weddings and bullshit, no offense. <laughs> I don't think anybody got COVID at the wedding you went to. No, but nobody. nobody. Uh, outbreak in Lethbridge was from a wedding. Um, other outbreaks are from church. Other outbreaks have been at businesses in part from what I understand, because people go and they drive to work together. Um, you know, um, well, fuck them. And uh, I don't want government intruding, but let's not give them an excuse. That's my take. There it is. I love it. That's good. I, I think I agree. I, I'm a bit of a libertarian. I, I don't want, I don't want government intervention and imposition, I guess, but at the same time, I want to be able to believe that people are going to make good choices and smart choices. Yeah. My God, I hope they don't want me back. <laughs> Many dummies. We got some dummies. I, I was at Auto Value buying my snowblower belt and about half the people there were dummies. Selfish dummies. I think you're right. So yes, I am kind of isolating fairly consistently. I don't... Uh, I don't really have circles much beyond my immediate family and my parents um, and us at work, yeah. you know, and even at work, we're washing our hands constantly and wearing masks when clients come in and yeah. got separation from the waiting room and, and our staff and, uh, yeah. and it's just being prudent. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I was listening to Matthew McConaughey today and Joe Rogan and he made an interesting point is that, Hopefully we're going to learn something from this, right? So I guess that remained to be seen whether or not we gather some collective wisdom. We'll see. Here's hoping. And I don't know that it'll be in a short time span. It might take some time to be able to look back and reflect to, to get that. Yeah, could be. Well, to quote Mr. McConaughey, all right, all right, all right. Another uh, episode. Talk to you next week. Cheers, everybody.